So I thought we could start with a children's sermon today. Now, I know we can't have you run on up here, but I can still ask you some questions. All right, are you ready, children? That's what I'm talking about. What makes your car get started? Now, I'll give you a hint. It's not gas, but what makes it get started? You put it in, and then it takes you on the way to school or to the store or to church. No hands here. You just shout it out. Yes, what makes it get started? What's it that gets it going? They jingle, jingle. Yes! Keys. Very good. There's no fooling you. But... Do you ever have to look for the keys because they get lost? I'm always losing my keys. I say, Bridge, that's my daughter. Will you help me find my keys? She says, I'm busy. i got to find them myself. What about you? Does anyone out there, does anyone out there look and help when the keys get lost? I see that hand. I see those hands. Now let's take it to the next level. If you can find things that are lost, can you go back into your mind's eye and tell me what did Jesus say we need to take up? maybe need to carry. And for a hint, I bet Mrs. Todd will throw up verse 34. What did he say that we must take up? Hmm. Yes, he did it. Excellent, your cross. Now, Jesus didn't mean that we have to grab a big wooden cross, put it on our back, and carry it with us everywhere we go, but he did mean that sometimes life is going to be really tough, and sometimes life is going to be hard. And sometimes life's not going to go exactly as we want it to go. And as his disciples, we have to be ready for that. We have to be able to know that when times are tough, Jesus is still with us. When times are tough, we keep going because he gives us the strength. And so just like keys help the car get started and go on their way, we know that Jesus is what's doing that for us. So I wanted to give you each a cross. Did you get a cross? Online, you didn't get a cross. But maybe if you send me a letter, I will send you one via the mail. We'll be helping the post office. It's going to be great. Now, what I want you to do with that cross is you should have got two. One, I want you to put on your parents' keychains so that you know whenever you're going on a drive, you're going somewhere with Jesus. And the other, I got so that you could put on your backpack to remind you that no matter what, wherever you go, Jesus is with you even when it is tough. Sound good? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you love us, and even when times are tough, you are always with us. So we pray that you would give us the strength to be your disciples always. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, my adult friends, I don't want you to feel bad, Dale, that you weren't included in question time. So I promise that I will ask a question of all of you as well as we get going in our message today. And speaking of the message, the word of God that engages us this morning comes to us from that gospel of Mark. Now, it's widely believed that the gospel of Mark is told from the perspective of the apostle Peter. And as he often does, and as we often see, we're going to get to hear and see Peter's response to Jesus. But we're not going to Zach Brown this thing. We're not just going to dip our toes in. We're not going to do that thing where you walk back and forth on the steps until you're finally used to the water. We're just going to jump right in. So let's pull out our Bibles. Mrs. Todd's going to throw it up on the screen for us if we don't got them. You can even use your phones. I'll allow it today. Verse 27, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, and on the way, on the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. Now, beginning with this verse, that phrase, on the way, will occur nine times in chapters 8 through 12. 
reminding us that the way of the Lord, the one that, the, that John the Baptist declared and cried out at the very beginning of this gospel, is fulfilled in Jesus going to Jerusalem, Jesus going to the cross. He's on the way. He's on the way to humiliation, rejection, suffering, and death. He is on the way to the cross. And on the way, Jesus raises these questions of faith. And I think it's worth noting that he does this in the middle of the journey. Not at the end of it when all the questions will be answered. Not when all the proof is at hand. He asks in the middle because he is getting his disciples ready and wants them to show their faith. Because with faith, with, with, with trust in Jesus, must come this willingness to act. Willingness to act on that trust in the face of all our preconceived notions and expectations, all the, all the troubles that are to come. He is showing his disciples and us that faith means actively following Jesus on the way. Not a life of demanding signs or going our own way or being a part of faith when it's convenient to us. We are called to follow and trust on the way wherever it goes. Now, this question that Jesus gives us has two stages. It starts by Jesus asking, who do others say I am? Which, let's nerd out on this for just a second. Do you remember that this is the exact question that the disciples asked themselves after Jesus had calmed the winds and the waves? They're like, who is this that even the waves and the winds obey him? Back. Now, the disciples answer what? Some people say John the Baptist because he had been killed. Maybe he's John the Baptist back all uh, resurrected or something. Maybe he's Elijah or one of the prophets. Now, no Old Testament figure had, sell, had, had held as much fascination for first century Judaism as Elijah. And it wasn't because of Elijah's deeds or Elijah's accomplishments because Moses, David, those guys had done way more. It was because Elijah had been taken to heaven while he was still in a body. And so that they believed that Elijah was there to oversee the deeds of mortals, that he would be the one who was going to comfort the faithful and help the needs, and above all, that Elijah was going to come back and announce the great and terrible day of the Lord's return. Now, to say that he was John or to say that he was a prophet was to list him among a bunch of stellar figures, right? Maybe it'd be like today saying, you know what, Jesus was a really good teacher. Jesus was a great moral example for us to live up to. Now, that may seem like an honor or a compliment, but it denies who Jesus' true self is. It denies his true identity, that Jesus is the Son of God who has come to save sinners. And Jesus isn't content with just hearing what others think of him, as if maybe this was some political poll that he's taking to kind of get a bead on the people. The two stages of this question require that the disciples themselves must form and express their own judgment about Jesus rather than just seconding the views of others. They're called to separate themselves from the opinions and risk a personal confession. What about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Who do you say I am is the central question of Mark's gospel and really of every presentation of the gospel. The essential meaning of faith is contained in this answer given. And friends, I think that adults and children alike, it is time to confess that right in the middle of a sermon, 
We have the ability to stop and give account for who we say Jesus is. And so let us as the children of God give an answer that people have been giving in response to who is this Jesus for over 2,000 years using the words of the Apostles' Creed. Because this is more than words, friends. This is a declaration of faith. This is a stance that we take as Christians on who Jesus is, who he has said he is, and on what Jesus has done for us. So will you confess this with me? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I can't hear you, church. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We know exactly who Jesus is. We confess who he is and what he has done for us. And it is this faith that, like the disciples, must move us from passive recipients, right? We passively receive everything that Christ Jesus has won for us on the Christ, but he moves us from just being passive to receiving to actively participating with him on the way. We go from answering this question to continuing on the way with him. Not as spectators, but as participants. First by confession, then action. And Jesus himself describes what that action looks like in a few verses. But first he takes a little commercial break. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. This always strikes me because I'm like, what? Why? Why not yet? Now in those days... People were expecting the Messiah to lead a rebellion. In fact, there'd already been just a few. A rebellion that would lead this revolt against the Romans where they could take back their line and land and give them freedom. See, they're not ready for a Messiah who would don a servant's towel instead of a warrior's armor. They weren't ready for a Messiah that would practice sacrifice and forgiveness instead of vengeance. They're not ready for a Messiah who would not inflict suffering, but rather would suffer himself and give himself as a ransom for many. See, they were warned not to tell because they don't understand what this Messiah really is, who he really is, what he really will do. Peter supplied the proper title, but he and the disciples still have the wrong understanding as we're going to see. And Jesus says, don't tell because they didn't expect this Messiah who would teach in parables, who would talk about God's kingdom is going to break in, about a God who would come down, be with them in nearness, love, and bring forgiveness to sinners. See, the meaning of Jesus' earthly life, his messianic purpose here is not about necessarily victory and success, but it's rejection and suffering and death. And so he begins to teach him that the Son of Man must suffer many, don't miss that, many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke him. The word rebuke there is what you would do to a demon. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You have in mind the concerns of God, not of God, but merely of human concerns. 
Friends, the suffering, death, and rejection of the Son of Man is shocking and offensive, but this is the essential content of Jesus' messianic identity, suffering and death. Now, the line that starts verse 32 here, he spoke plainly about this, doesn't really get enough tension, I feel, because of verse 33 in the whole calling Peter Satan, and also because the English translation misses a little bit. See, the word plainly here is better translated boldly and confidently. Jesus didn't whisper this part about him dying and suffering. This wasn't something that the disciples maybe misunderstood because he rushed that line like he was George Clooney in Ocean's Eleven. The same clear-sightedness that the blind man receives when he could immediately see is how boldly, clearly, and confidently Jesus is saying what is going to happen. And again, to nerd out a little bit further, that word this there is better translated word, logos. He spoke plainly about the word. Not the word like we say, word, homie. We, it's like this. It's like in John chapter 1 when he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Don't miss the fact that he is connecting his very identity to suffering and death. There is no mystery or hiddenness here, some YouTube video you have to watch to figure out what is really going on in WandaVision. The word is identified with the necessity of Jesus' passion and suffering. The proclamation of the cross is boldly and confidently proclaimed. Peter didn't get this, or maybe he got it and he didn't want this. And that, friends, is a powerful scene. His friend pulls him aside and says, hey man, we're not talking, you're not going to do this, you're not going to die, we're not going to, no, 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 no. Hashtag not my Messiah, baby, you're doing this instead. Jesus stops him, looks at him. Can you imagine what it must have looked like? All the disciples felt the same way. They see him look at Peter, then they see him make eye contact with each one of them, and he says, get behind me because you don't know what you're saying. You're only caring about what happens in this earthly life and you're missing the way of God. So he calls the crowd along with his disciples said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. The idea of worthiness here is absent. So when you read this, let us remember that following Christ in self-denial and even in suffering is not about becoming worthy or receiving salvation because of what you have done. Carrying your cross is not the necessity for your salvation, but it is the necessity of the calling that comes along with your salvation. That's a distinction to make. It's not for salvation, but it is in response to it that we carry and pick up our cross. It's not an option. We must do this. Yes, you are hearing correctly. You must deny yourself and pick up your cross. Not to keep it, not to keep salvation, but because this is how you will work out your salvation. This is not a both and, this is an either or. For the claim of Jesus is, is a total and exclusive one over your entire life. This is not some convenient compartmentalization where in your spiritual life you will submit, but in your personal life, in your family life, you won't. You stand wholly under the claim of Christ over your life and over your soul. What good is it to gain the whole world yet forfeit your soul? Or what can you give in exchange for your soul? Jesus says, if anyone is ashamed of me, 
and my words. In this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them. He says it's not worth it. It's not worth it to have the whole world, everything one could ever possibly hope for, at the cost of your soul. He says the world you can live without, but when you lose your personhood, your being, your eternal soul, what are you going to give in exchange for that? No temporary high or momentary fix is worth it. And then in this awesome way, he summons his inner Old Testament prophet, repeats that language about adulterous and sinful generation, and says, don't honor me with your lips, but with your hearts and your hands. For the future begins now, as we go on our way. See, the Messiah lives the way, and at the cross, the Messiah brings change. Where our broken parts Our shame are taken upon Him and what we are given in exchange is love and healing and the real us, the real you and me. The one that is not afraid, but has been given a spirit of courage and stick-to-itiveness to persevere in love despite whatever grief and suffering comes. If you are searching for something more, if you are looking for something to fill that void that you feel, if you're tired of this pretend life, this going through the motions, this same old wake up, burn through the day, rinse and repeat cycle, if you are ready for that change, then pick up your cross and follow Him. The change that you are longing for is right there. That sense of wonder and miraculous in the everyday life is found in the cross. And friends, for far too long, We have said we are tired, or it's too hard, or that carrying a cross is just another burden in this burdensome life, as if if bearing our cross is like uh, uh, something we have to wear or or something we don't want to do, right? My car is too old. I have to drive too far today. Bearing our cross is just some slogan that we use and then throw away. Jesus boldly and confidently went to the cross, so let us as well. I think that bearing that cross is nothing more than true self-denial and love for others. And it's there that we grow. It's in the cross that we grow. It's in the suffering that we find out who we belong to. It's in the cross that all the, all the no's that we hear and all the you're not good enoughs get nailed to that cross and what comes out instead is life, abundant life found in Jesus and practiced in self-denial and love for others so that we can live and show them the way, whatever that looks like as we point them to Jesus. I think Paul teaches us best how to bear the cross in the way that he talks about it in Romans 12. He says, love from the center of who you are. He says, don't fake it. He says, run for dear life from evil and hold on for dear life to the good. Be good people, be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Did you hear me on that? Be content with second place. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. You can't carry your cross if you're not in prayer and love and going to Jesus. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in the hard times, but pray all the harder. Help those who are in need and be inventive and creative in hospitality. Bless your enemies. Don't curse them under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy and shed tears with your friends when they grieve. Get along with each other. Make friends with the people who are nobodies. Don't try to always be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. 
Get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even, but let God do the judging. Let God take care. If you see someone or your enemy hungry, bring them lunch. Or if they're thirsty, get them something to drink. Don't let evil get the best of you, but get the best of evil by doing bear our cross and we follow Jesus. And we do it in courage and we do it eagerly because that is who he has called us to be.